Hey, hotties, we're always telling you what to do. Now it's your turn to tell us what to do. Head to hotyoungdesignersclub.com to take our seven-minute 2021 listener survey. As a bonus, we'll be giving away an HYDC t-shirt to three random entries. The survey closes March 31st, so give us all your feedback and help us design the best community ever. This week, it's time for What Would the Hot Young Designers Do? We're answering your real-life questions on topics like how to handle contractors and what to do when clients take credit for your work. There's even a not-so-hot kitchen counter dilemma. The hotlines are open for all your design agonies. Let's go! Hi, I'm Rebecca of Studio Plum. And I'm Sean of Renstead Interiors. We're interior designers, turned internet friends, turned real life friends. Welcome to the Hot Young Designers Club podcast. We're not that hot or that young. Every week, we'll be spilling the tea on how a new generation of interior designers can run their businesses. Welcome Welcome to to the the club. club. Hey, Sean. What's up, Rebecca? You know, I can't talk right now. I'm too busy doing hot young designer shit. I mean, we legit have a lot of stuff going on that we have to keep track of right now. Like our Asana is giving us all the shooting unicorns and sparkly walruses we could handle. It's We're definitely using a lot of functionality. So we should maybe do a quick housekeeping on everything that's going on in the world of our hot young designers. Mm-hmm. So first... Our listener survey has just a few more days for you to jump in there, give us your thoughts and your guidance on where you think the show is and where it can go next and how we can help our design community more. And remember, a few of the listeners are going to be eligible to get a Hot End Designers Club t-shirt. Yeah, but you got to fill, fill out that survey. And what else are we working on? So we have launched our coaching sessions. This kind of is a little bit in line with what we're talking about today, but we just see so many questions on Facebook groups and, you know, a lot of us need help in different areas of our businesses. And that's really where we're coming from with our, our coaching. Yeah. I don't know if I always want to rely on, like a source from a Facebook group who I don't know where their background or their credibility is necessarily. I just worry about where is that coming from? And then who gave them that advice? Because I see a lot of bad advice out there, especially when it comes to like legal and tax stuff. So totally. And they're not asking (laughs) you a question. Like they don't know anything about your your business or where you've been. And I've... I rarely post questions in there because it just can be like the shame slap down. Like, yeah, it, that. and that's, that's not what we're here for. We're here to talk things through with during coaching sessions. There's no shame. There's no pressure. It's like, let's just hash things out and we can find out where you're at and what you we'll need get, the guidance on. Yeah. We'll get real. We're not going to just give you cheerleading rah, rah, but it's a safe space no one's gonna feel bad at the end of it promise yeah I'm I've been really stoked to know that there's listeners who really want to hear more of 
how we would handle it. They trust the thoughts that we have to share with them. And they know that there's sort of a place they can level with us that we can't do on Instagram or in a DM. No. So don't miss that. You can book coaching sessions on our website. Yep. And we have book now on our Instagram. Because we're fancy. (laughs) (laughs) It's really easy. So we can even show you how to do that. Um, And now we can get into the show. Talk a little bit about our weeks. Our fizzies and our sizzies. Yeah. Why don't you start this You want me to go? Oh my God, you go. Oh my God. No, you go. Oh, okay. Okay. Fizzle of the week. You've actually, most of the listeners have been on this journey with me, but I've recently had to start thinking about how I need to adjust my messaging and my services on my website. I think a few of you have probably followed along with this of early in the podcast. I thought, oh, I'm going to try this experiment where I list out more of what's out there so people understand what it is that we do, how I do it. And my services page on my website was kind of built around kind of like a value-based pricing model where I really want to guide people to my middle and my top tier level services. And I really don't want to spend a lot of time in services like e-design, which I call like design only. Mm-hmm. It's just not my favorite thing to do, but I have had so many tire kickers lately or value-based shoppers, which just does not fit my business model anymore. Yeah. And it's been frustrating to field so many calls around it. I've been thinking about this a lot lately too. And I'm curious what other designers and other areas are experiencing, but I just think the market is flooded with folks but like who want work done on their house. Oh, complete, completely general. agree. Everybody wants the full like ooh la la sensation from working with a designer, but they're like, oh, I have, you know, I want Mercedes quality, but I have Honda Civic budget. And I just, it doesn't fit. I can't give you all of that in what you're looking for. And I really don't want to spend my time and energy on these like piecemeal types of things. So I've been kind of faced with the fizzle is I'm going to have to change my messaging. I believe everyone can benefit from good design, but not everyone is in a place that I can help them with that anymore. Mm -hmm. So I have to stop accepting that onus. And the experiment was good to have. It was valuable, but my services menu is going to change. That's going to be a little bit more exclusive to the audience. Exclusive to the audience that I want to work with, because most of the projects I want to do are into more full service models that involve construction or full service decorating and furnishing and accessory projects. So I'm going to kind of move away from that, but the services will all still be built out and discussed in my investment guide that clients will get. But I do want to kind of create a little bit of a a barrier. I don't know what I want to say, a qualification round where they're going to need to tell me a little bit more about the project. And then maybe probably even before I even have a discovery call with anyone and give them the opportunity to do that, I'm going to consider whether I even invite them to a discovery call and, you know, just screen out some projects that may not be large enough or the budget may not be where it needs to be at for me to work with it. 
Um, Do you have a and, budget question on your initial form? The way it is now, yes, but it lets them still schedule. They can still schedule the appointment to do the phone chat with me, even, you know, regardless, but the budget question starts higher. So it's know, confusing to like, me. Are you at like, 50 to a hundred? Yeah. That's, that's where I'm getting stuck is it's like, okay, I'm telling you that construction cost per square foot is one number and you're still putting in well below that or furnishing budget starts at a certain level. And I'm just like, okay, something's missing from from that and i think that we need to kind of graduate away from that so i will be spending some time to update my contact form and my services to give a little bit more exclusivity i still want to take on new projects but i have to be careful that i don't overwhelm myself so yeah that's the fizzle sizzle i'm living my urban farm fantasy down here in greater los angeles (laughs) i was talking with a friend earlier this week and he told me that he and his husband went to their local armstrong nursery and i I don't know do you guys have armstrong nurseries near you it's like a nursery chain i I know what they are but i don't i don't know i feel like they're not everywhere but it's just like a nursery chain down there yeah yeah so He was saying that they had citrus trees and no joke. I got off the phone with him. It was like a morning this week. And then I hung up the phone. I put on my shoes and I was like, I'm going. And I legit drove down to the nursery and I got a kumquat tree and a tangerine tree. They're both semi-dwarf. So I'm going to be able to put them in some large pots and keep them more shrub-like. I don't really want big trees that attract possums and raccoons and squirrels and the birds to eat all my stuff. But I do want that full Spanish revival, Southern California fantasy of being able, like I already have a lemon tree and we have a mandarin tree. So I kind of want that. And then I don't know how I got hooked into this, but I bought an espalier apple tree. I don't know if you've seen, you've probably seen them where they like, they graft the trees to be flat so they can grow against walls Mm, and they... It's very European looking, but that tree has grafted three different types of apples on it. So it has Fuji apple, Anna apples, and the golden Dorset apple. So I'm going to have one tree giving me three kinds of apples in the fall this year, if I can keep it alive. So knock on wood, but we're planning that next to our driveway because we don't have a ton of space, but I'm living that full fantasy sans chickens. Don't sign me up for that. So kind of just a modern farmhouse. I mean, please don't sign me. Don't sign me up for that. But it's kind of funny because uh, the we're on a quarter acre lot. Our lot used to be a one acre farmhouse lot. So the three houses around us are all really new because they were sold off and subdivided by the original owner in like the late 60s or early 70s. Yeah. So they had this one acre farm size lot at one point so it's kind of fun to think like oh we're still doing some of that like bringing it back a little and doing honor with the house so maybe the house will absorb some of that good steward of the land energy and recharge from it that's about as woo woo as you're gonna get me to go on that but (laughs) i think it'll be happy yeah yeah i can't wait to see you in your little overalls life i'm gonna get my overalls and a big straw hat and chewing on a piece of hay yeah it kind of 
Speaking of, I just finished this book. I kind of, I'm changing my fizzle on the fly. So I finished a book by Kristen Hanna. She does a lot of, they're all fiction based in different historical times, mostly like World War II France or she had one that was really interesting about Alaska. Okay. Anyway, she just came out with this one. I think it just came out a couple weeks ago called The Four Winds. And it's about 1930s Great Depression. Like it starts with the family in the Texas panhandle. And it's very like, very, I guess, zoomed in version of like what happened to the land and the actual storms that these people, like the dust storms that they were surviving. Oh, it's crazy. And then like what makes it really relevant is it follows this family to the to California and they land in San Juan Joaquin Valley and just the like kind of persecution of like the Okies and how hard of a time they had to just survive. Like they were living off ditch water and the oh, so this the is land- like is this real or is this fiction? It's fiction it's- based on real stories. But it I mean you're basically it's like living of wrath. Okay. Got it. But not modern, modern storytelling. A re- another reinter- another interpretation of it. Yeah, so of then that it gets similar into, life. it gets into how the migrant workers were kept at this level and dis- the discriminatory practices were so crazy. So yeah, it's very relevant to some of our current struggles that are basically the same, but no longer with Midwesterners and just isolation and pandemic, like... It's really interesting. So I recommend it as a good read. I don't put it in the show notes. Love the story, but I really loved the historical part of it. So is the how rough the story is the fizzle of it? Like it's just a sad thing to hear and read about, and realize like not a lot has changed. Yeah, we're still we still mistreat people who are the other, totally, and farm workers and. And just like the, you see like firsthand how an entire group of people cannot get past a certain station in life and um, yeah. poverty. It's crazy. So I mean, it's not an uplifting is, read, but like important to be thinking about others and the empathy involved with being different and not being part of a certain class of people. Yeah. It's, it's a downer, but also like definitely worth reading. So Sizzle... You and me and Claire have been talking about not feeling filled up, just kind of that hanging on. And part of it has to do like hoping we're going to like something magical is going to change one day to the next. Like, yeah, or I don't know. I just feel like a little bit zombie. Everything's fine, but it's not great. But Mm -hmm. realizing how much of it, I guess, is the lack of filling your bucket up with people. Right. And just simple stuff. I think the three of us have all admitted to feeling kind of lazy socially, even when there's things we could do. Right. So I have a, I had a friend who's been in town for an extended stay to be close to family and I just haven't been able to see her. And so we finally made a date last weekend and just sat in the backyard. It was a beautiful, like springish day. I don't know. I was there for five hours and it was so oh. great. Yeah. Her husband is French and he is just amazing. It's like, oh, let me let me get you some. I have some fabulous bread and we have pet taste. And then he brings a bottle of wine. He's like, so you just have to have something. And of course, neighbors, the next door neighbors had a band playing, but they were actually really good. And 
Wait, it was like a party or like they just, they're a band and they're practicing and it's good. I don't even know. Yeah. It What's going on up there? Like It wasn't a party. They were just playing and they were good enough that it sort of was, wait, is that, it sounds live, but it sounds really good. Too good for a normal backyard band? Yeah. I think they were in the garage or something. So we were just chatting and we're like, wait, this is really nice. <laughs> like We had to stop ourselves and remember, this feels nice. And just to be outside with friends, that's kind of what's on my like optimistic future is we need, we need that right now, desperately. We really do. And it just felt like such a replenishment. And then the next day I was telling you guys on Marco Polo, you, me and Claire, and we were saying, yeah, we just need to be doing more little meetups like that. Stay safe, but just do stuff and So then I just randomly texted Claire. I'm like, want to do an impromptu lunch and working co-working session. So we went to this outdoor restaurant and brought our laptops. It happened to be Margarita Day. (laughs) I mean, what day isn't Margarita Day? But it was like 72 degrees, perfect outside patio. I I hear that. Yeah. It was amazing. Do more of that. Find, Find things to fill your bucket. Yeah, we need to refill ourselves however we can right now, even if it's limited to how we can do it. I think we just get into the, well, we're just supposed to keep on going. And for our listeners who are in other, again, we're both in California. It's been a little rough out here. A lot of places still aren't working. So we're not refilling ourselves. I I have family who are in Nashville, in Atlanta. Their experience is very different now compared to what ours is like. And yeah, they are having get-togethers. Restaurants are open for indoor dining. And I'm cautiously optimistic that as more people are able to get vaccinated and all of that, that it's going to make a difference in the way that we can help refill ourselves, you know, emotionally and for our mental health. Um, Yeah. Cheers to that. And speaking of mental health, today's episode is really built around our hotties, the listeners and some questions that they shared with us. And this is the, what would the hot young designers do episode? Yes, we see these Facebook messages. We're in a lot of industry groups. And I tend to bite my tongue. You're very good at giving people pragmatic, clear advice. Most of the time. I tend to be a lurker (laughs) because I feel like I can't keep my eye roll out of it. But this is going to give us a better chance to, I don't know, what would you do question answers. Yeah, I think a lot of times it's just, okay, how would how would you handle this? The way we're looking at it is treat us like you would your design friends. Or if you went to school with a group of designers and you felt like I can trust what they're going to say, how would they handle this? That's what we want to create here with our Hot Young Designers community is provide you guys a place that you can ask those things, know that you're not being judged, know that everyone goes through their struggles. I mean, Kelly Wurstler didn't start off as the Kelly Wurstler we know today and other big designers didn't start off. Everybody has those problems they have to go through. So let's go through them together and just help each other. Let me start with the first question and then you can tell me what you think about it. So Anne writes, help me hot young designers 
My client told me that she's going to go elsewhere for cabinets, flooring, and pretty much everything that the contractor recommended. I was the one who referred the contractor and got him the job. What should I do? Okay, so first of all, you need a better contractor relationship. And to me, this is something that me and the contractor work out in advance. Even when I'm just interviewing them as potential vendors to work with. How do you prefer to do this? Do you buy all the stuff yourself? Like we need to get on the same page. Who's doing what? Yeah. Yeah. I think Um, that's like before the client even knows them yet. Which is like not helpful because this has already happened, but just, I want to have, I want to have all my vendors in a win-win relationship. I don't want them to feel like they're getting screwed out of anything. And I don't want me to, but some things it's easier for them to buy. So you have to be really clear on who's doing what. I mean, when I read this, I thought, oh, like cabinets and flooring. And I'm just, I'm imagining those things. And I'm like, okay, most of this stuff, I actually, yeah, I could make money off of it, but some of it, it's not worth the liability of handling it and managing it. And the being the, you know, the contractor is technically going to have to warranty the installation of the flooring. So sometimes contractors don't want to warranty the flooring installation if they also didn't purchase it. Right. And it it just depends on who you're working with. So I think that goes back to what you said about, you got to know what happens first. I don't, I don't want to sell the cabinets. I know that designers make money off of those in California. There's some legality issues we get into about managing a contractor for cabinets and it's just not worth the risk to me. But if you're able to resell cabinetry, I mean, that's also a big way cabinet makers make money. And that's a big way that contractors make money off of that relationship. So they should, there should be something in it for them too. So, yeah. So to me, the problem isn't with the client because they have no idea how any of this stuff works. Yeah. Did the client might not even know that designers are also resellers of this. Exactly. So like all of this is to me, vendor relationships, like I sell flooring through a showroom that they sell, they give me a commission on it. So I don't take any of the responsibility for the warranty, but I have a good relationship with that showroom. So we have a thing worked out. So I have each of these things, like I know like my place in the world of each of these kind of material items and what I want to deal with and what I don't. Yeah. I don't want to deal with cabinets. So in this case, did you have a contract? Like, yeah, I wonder what the contract says about, purchasing and it's hard to it's I mean the more detail the better but but even not even from a legal standpoint but just like explaining to your client how this works standpoint I say like hey I'm gonna spec cabinets floors plumbing but you're I'm just gonna give you the specifications and you're gonna buy them directly from Ferguson's or whatever or if the contractor wants to do it that's fine but just these are the specifications and he better not go change them. That's a different problem too. Like, yeah, yeah. Something something weird happened here where it seems like yeah, the the contractor, the designer weren't on the same page, and then it could have been avoided and never reached the customer's point of view. And it's not great, but I think most of our advice is really focused around how do we avoid this in the future because it yeah. it already happened here, and I think just you got to smooth it over and. Maybe the contractor can work in pieces that you can be responsible for and still make something. But now that the cat's out of the bag, you can't put it back. 
No, not without looking weird at the client. Yeah. So it's more about preserving the client's experience at this point. And then whatever you can do, just take it as a learning moment and, you know, update your processes and your communication so it doesn't happen in the future. Yes. And make sure you want the liability of each of these items that you're selling directly. Lord, you know, y'all know where I stand on that. (laughs) Otherwise, look for places that you can get commission back from the seller. Hey, hotties. Have you ever listened to the show and wished you could ask us questions? Well, we just opened up private coaching sessions. Now you can book one or two hour Zoom sessions with Rebecca and me. Together, we bring over 40 years of experience in our combined professional backgrounds to help you with marketing, finance, and business strategy. We're here to guide you on anything from branding to systems to the emotional guidance that you need to run your business. Book today at hotyoungdesignersclub.com slash coaching or use the book now button on our Instagram. We can't wait to meet you. Let's do another one. You take this one. Hi, hot young designers. My clients hired me for their living room and kitchen new build. After we presented designs and went through revisions, they ended up saying they felt like it wasn't a good fit, so we parted ways. Now they're posting our exact designs on social media. We got paid for the time, but being new, we gave back their retainer and missed out on a ton of money, which is something I'm learning from. Everything in their house we designed and we get no credit. It sucks that we put so much work into these selections and it was one of our biggest projects. Is it reasonable to say something and ask if they would at least give us some credit? Oh, it's such a cringy read. I mean, it just sounds like a horrible person. Yeah. I mean, they're not great people, but the the question is, is it reasonable to say something and ask for credit? No, that's not reasonable. I mean, well, you can to me, like, it'd be want, nice. But... It'd be nice if, but What's you, your you have, well, yeah. And I mean, you have no grounds, unfortunately, from a legal perspective, like you parted ways on the contract in some way, shape or form. So that they don't owe, they don't, I mean, if that's their personal feed and their personal Instagram, they can say and do whatever they want. It sucks they won't promote the work you did, but. Yeah, and what are they? What would that accomplish? 400 people that aren't going to hire them. I I mean. What would you do if you saw that? Would you comment? I mean, sometimes I could be shady. And if it was like, if I was following the client, I might be like, oh my gosh, it was such a pleasure to put this design plan for you. You really (laughs) took it. You really took it and ran with it. I'm so happy that you're happy or what. I mean, I don't know. I might troll a little bit of it, but also trolling, it's not going to get me anywhere. It might make me give me that one little gratification of, yeah, I showed them, but It just sucks. But also clients don't go around linking our name every time friends and family come over like, oh, you have to talk to Sean. You have to talk to Rebecca. You you don't have like a little pile of brochures by their front door. Yeah, that's just it doesn't it's not a show house. You don't want them to just yelling it out all the time. That's their lifestyle that you sold them when you sell a design. You don't own that forever. They're not walking around in a branded T-shirt. Well, this is like the intellectual property question. I mean, once it's done, it's done. They own it. It's their house and they take pictures of it and they live in it. I actually had this happen to me. I'm not going to get into major detail, but it happened not with the client, but with another designer. No. So So they pretty much took the same design that you did? 
they ended up finishing the project basically okay based on some things that happened um and then it's all their design basically they get to claim mm, nice mm-hmm. classy how could you maybe I mean, they, avoid it they finished the project so in a way it was but like the first 30 percent of the concept was definitely mine so yeah and none of that credit comes back to you no and it yeah i won't whatever i mean that's what it is like that it sucks right like it sucks but it's like we have to move on like what are you gonna do about it like they're probably a client like that doesn't sound like they're gonna ever be your biggest referrer if it didn't if they parted ways yeah yeah, that was that instance it's like oh i mean i'm not shady like that but i mean oh that let me see your mood board and your (laughs) yeah yeah because you don't freaking have them because i do yeah i think in the future for this hottie who wrote in it's i would collect a much bigger non-refundable retainer so even if you do have to part ways at least you charge enough that you're not resentful and it paid some of your bills and Maybe you offer to clients who you think are not going to be in that right direction, something like design only, where they really can take it and walk away and you price it so you're not bothered when they do exactly this. Because design only is really, that's the intention. They take the plan, they run with it, and they don't owe you anything. Yeah, I just take it with a big eye roll, like, okay, girl. Yeah, you designed it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. glad I'm not dealing with you anymore. Yeah. I think that one's just kind of dust off your hands. Good riddance. You don't want their project. You They never were going to have this be a project in your portfolio anyway. It's just better to move on. Yeah. It's tough in what we do because we put so much of our person into it that it's hard not to take things personally, but it really is a business transaction. And it sounds like you guys parted ways in a fair way and there's no obligation to tag you or credit you anywhere. So that's something we have to get used to is not every project is going to be shared and referrals and not everyone is going to love every part of the process. So being really selective about what's part of your portfolio. So that's what you attract more of and not more clients like this. Here, here. All right. Okay. Let's do one more. Okay, Rhiannon writes, Hell, potting designers, I recommended a quartz slab for my client's kitchen counters and backsplash, and after it was installed, they decided they didn't like it. And I do agree that the veining is darker than we'd expected, and I don't love the final product. Technically, the client signed off on it, even though she's contesting that. How would you handle this situation? Do I leave the counters and demo the backsplash? Do I convince her to keep it? I've never had this type of situation. And she included some photos that were on that when she when we looked at that. I mean, this is just the worst feeling. Like as just you know, it's in solidarity to have things just not quite turn out as like, you imagined. If you don't like it and you agree with your client. In most cases, I agree that it's usually best to tell them that because sometimes it helps relieve the pressure by leveling with them. But I mean, you have to stay focused on the solutions, which Mm -hmm. one, if you did really document the approval process, then that has to be really tight and binding because that's what supports you. 
So we're just going to assume that, yeah, she did actually approve it. Like um, legally you're covered. Yeah. The, the issues here in the, in the photos that were of it is that the veining is really gross looking. It's these really like very fake looking quartz veining and they're not in a, the most attractive locations. So for our listeners, you're, you're not seeing that, but I'm sure you can imagine you don't want these unflattering veins going up the backsplash and matching in weird locations. And I, I don't think that the countertop fabricator did a, like that countertop fabricator did you wrong, girl. Like <laughs> if it's a project that otherwise you were really counting on to photograph and be you know, a big part of your portfolio, I think I might go with the demo in the backsplash idea. Like just get rid of the most obvious parts of the slab mm-hmm. and do some tile or something instead. Yes, that's that vertical surface that's going to be the thing you see the most. Because if that's not going to be the focal point you want, it is the focal point. Yeah, I think. Maybe get the countertop fabricators since they're the ones who really messed up here to. Did they mess up though? I mean, I don't. The thing is, like, I would say, again, I, I can only focus on what you can do to prevent it is any good countertop fabricator is going to provide you a rendering or a drawing to show you where the cuts are going to be and where the veinings are going to match up. And you should not, without an approval, nothing should be done. All the time, always ask them, I need to see this. And even if they're just marking it up on a PDF, if they're doing it in a full scan or render, you got to get something that you and the client can sign off on. Okay, what if they did and it looked less, like she's saying, less contrasty, so it wasn't a bit Did they see the slabs in person in your imagination? No, I mean, maybe they didn't and that step was skipped, but what does she do now? You can offer backslash tile at cost. Yeah, as a compromise. And not charge for your time, maybe, or discount. Yeah, I mean, you're not going to spend too long getting a decent backsplash tile in theory. Let me like an so hour. Pick a tile. Like reselect, an hour of reselect. You'll reselect it on your own time and do your best to push the con- the installer to get there quickly. This stuff happens. Sometimes clients see it and they're looking in a, they're looking someone they're like, oh yeah, totally. And then they're like, oh, it looks so different now that it's in our house. That's everything, girl. It's like when you buy a piece of clothing in the mall or wherever, and oh, it looks so different in the beautiful lights at Nordstrom or wherever. And then on you the, get home and- On the mannequin, on camera. And then in broad daylight, you're like, yeah, damn, like I can't wear that size small anymore. Like <laughs> I haven't worn a small in the last seven years, eight years. So I don't know, like this is that situation. Like I feel like it's not an attractive slab. I agree. It's it's not good girl, but all you I can think- do is get rid of part of it. Even if it's still on the countertop, at least there will be some breakup of that on the countertops. If it comes yeah. back to all of it, I mean, what do you do? You you can't you can't refabricate that at your own cost. If they want to replace no. all the countertops, that's on them. Like they chose it, they approved it, they signed off on it. This is what you have. It's already here. No, my personal philosophy on these kinds of mistakes, I actually <laughs> I just went through something similar where the backsplat, I misordered some tile. I didn't realize there were two sides to the tile there's a left and a right to make the pattern that I wanted so 
I ended up buying that tile back because the half that was needed to be remade. Yeah. Of course, it's handmade. So there's also a time situation. But my so my philosophy is to find a compromise that feels like you're putting in some of your own, whether it's money, time, whatever, skin to help. So I wouldn't have felt comfortable just being like, well, you signed off on it. Good luck with all that. Bye. Yeah. That's why it's focused on the solutions. Like, what could I do? Yeah. Okay. I'll take a $500 hit on this. It's best because it'll look the best. Ultimately, it'll make the client have, you know, better experience, a better experience, keep your trust with them. And it's you know, in our case, it's just time delays. So, yeah. I mean, this is another reason why if our rates are high enough, they help make up for some of this. Like we, That's we have to know that this for. is, yeah, like this is going to happen. This is why we have markup on product. This is why our hourly rate cannot just be based off of like the minimum amount of labor that we put in because this has to ha- this will happen in any big job. And, you know, I don't, it's not something that's going to go away. You just hope that you work with reasonable clients who will work with you as you come up with compromises. But it's definitely not, it's not on our part to pay everything out of our pocket when something's not exactly what someone expected. If you've done all the right steps to put it in front of them correctly, don't feel like you just owe everybody a refund on something, especially not for countertops. That's thousands of dollars. That can be more than what you make of jobs. Right. Yep. And then it's just like a little bit of chalk, like this instance that I went through, it's just like, okay, that's part of my education. And we learn from that and hopefully it never, you never have to cross that one on your list again. So this was just a couple of the questions that we have had come across our desks. So until next time. Stay hot designers. Thanks for joining this meeting of the Hot Young Designers Club podcast. If you liked what you heard, please subscribe and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Check out the show notes there for links to things we talked about today. We are keeping the conversation going on Instagram, so don't forget to like, comment, and follow at Hot Young Designers Club. You can find Rebecca on Instagram at Studio Plum. And you can find Sean at Renstead Interiors. That's W-R-E-N-S-T-E-D. You're hot, but you don't know it yet. <laughs> That's what it really is. That's what a regular a regulation hottie is the girl who's actually hot but like doesn't realize oh, her she hotness. Hasn't taken her glasses off. Yeah, yeah. She hasn't taken her ponytail out and um switched out of her schlumpy sweater. Like, yeah.